Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Welcome, Podcast Zion listeners. My name is Linda Booth, and with me in a conference room in the Council of Twelve Apostles Suite is Steve Easy, Prophet President of the Community of Christ. I thank you, Steve, for taking time before you leave to do camps and reunions. And I hear you're going to your home campground, the place where you were raised. Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be part of the podcast. Uh, yes, and I'll be leaving soon to go to reunion in the Mid-South Mission Center. And the reunion grounds is in Tennessee. And it just hit me. It was 40 years ago uh, when I said goodbye to the folks there at Reunion uh, and headed out on the rest of my life uh, as a full-time minister for the church. So it's, it'll be very interesting to be going back at this point in my life. Yes, having served in that uh, region and that mission center for 15 years, I know they consider you their, <laughs> theirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they've shared you with the church. Yeah. Yes. It'll, be, it'll be good to be with them. It's good folks. Yes. Well, we've gathered here uh, to talk about some words that you shared with the church, words of counsel, that you presented on April 13th at the end of your conference sermon, the 2019 World Conference Sermon. And these, these words of counsel are beginning to go out into the church and people are beginning to read them and hopefully focus upon them. If you haven't, as Project Zion listeners had a chance to read the words of counsel, you can find them in the May-June Herald or you can find them on the church's website, seaofchrist.org. So check those out if you haven't seen them. We're going to jump right in, and uh, as is often the case with words of counsel, uh, it starts with an introductory paragraph, and I'm going to read that paragraph. It, uh, it says, Several times during World Conference, I have offered spoken messages through which perspective and guidance for the church has been presented. Throughout the week, I have experienced the promptings of the Holy Spirit, indicating it would be good to emphasize certain concepts as we embark on the next phase of our faith adventure with God. I do not have any expectation regarding the ultimate status of what I will present to you now. If these words have enduring value for the church, they will find their place in the character, responses, and living canon of our lives. So in this introductory paragraph, Steve, you, you refer to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that engaged you during the 2019 World Conference. Uh, please tell us about those personal experiences and how they led you to specific concepts for the words of counsel. Uh, yeah, as, as I've shared uh, with the church before in terms of my own um, ongoing encounter with God's Spirit, for me, it's not so much an event 
that's very concentrated that may happen from time to time. But it's more like an unfolding process uh, where I am in um, relationship to God, always trying to be alert and aware and listening to all of the ways in which God may be guiding or influencing or prompting. And then over time, I notice that there are certain themes or concepts or ways of understanding that emerge in my mind. And in this case, um, many, many months before World Conference, I began preparation, and I knew I had certain responsibilities to share with the church, and that those would be important times to emphasize what's important in terms of how is God guiding and leading the church. So as I prepared those messages, like for the 25th anniversary of the temple dedication at the opening of conference and the Sunday afternoon priesthood sessions of the opening weekend and Sunday night sermon and my closing message, which in my mind all begin to be connected to each other. Um, I incorporated in those messages the themes that I had sensed were very important, the concepts, the ideas, and some explanation um, and narrative around those themes. And I thought uh, that that was sufficient uh, in terms of what needed to be shared with the church with the hope that people would be alert to those and that the good spirit would bring the message home. Um, it was during World Conference uh, especially the latter part of World Conference, that uh, I began to have this sense of the appropriateness uh, and even the importance of uh, emphasizing uh, certain ideas and concepts. It may be that part of that was uh, freed by the wonderful conference experience we had together and the desire of God to affirm God's presence and guidance with the church. It's not that people wouldn't understand what I had said in various sermons and, and talks, but I think a lot of it has to do with God's wanting to emphasize and confirm that God was very much aware of the, the church, of the challenges and opportunities before the church. And so a way to do that was to highlight specifically certain themes um, and direction. Uh, and so um, it, it came down to the last few days and I began to shape those words and decided to think about them 
overnight, but uh, uh, by the next day, which was Saturday morning, I really felt a need to proceed, and my two colleagues in the presidency had had an opportunity to view the words, which was actually fairly quick in terms of our usual processes, and brought confirmation that I should proceed, so I did. Yes, the yeah. church is thankful <clears throat> that you did, Steve. Thank you very much. You conclude the introductory paragraph with the following line. If these words have enduring value for the church, they will find their place in the character, response, and living canon of our lives. As the words, in particular, living canon of our lives took shape in your mind, what images came with them? Well, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, incarnation, um, embodiment, and how the gospel is so much more than a list of beliefs or a description of a way of life. In fact, it's, it's very important that whatever words we have in Scripture and other places that point to the gospel and God's revelation in Christ and how that continues to inform our lives, uh, that it's all really nothing unless it finds place in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our families, in our congregations, and in the worldwide church. Um, I don't mean to belittle the written word at all that serves to describe what we've come to understand about God, uh, but many times um, we, we have the experience, like at World Conference, and then that becomes a memory uh, rather than something that we live. And so I wanted to emphasize uh, that the most important uh, response in our lives is to actually embrace the concepts embody the concepts, and then words become the living word in us and in our communities of faith. I, I really like that image of being a living canon of our lives. I mean, that, that really hit me because our lives are called to be holy, mm -hmm. and that incarnation and script, it's almost like a living modern-day scripture mm -hmm that adds into God's grand narrative of where God's leading yeah. us as a people. So I really appreciate those words. Well, you've heard the saying, perhaps, that you may be the only scripture that many people read. And I think it's trying to get to the same point in a more succinct yeah. way, but it seemed it was very important yes, I'm, to emphasize I'm that. Yes, I'm really thankful for that <laughs> image that has been placed now in my yeah. life and in my ministry and in my discipleship. Um, 
I'm going to read the first paragraph of the Words of Counsel, and it begins, To the Church. Beloved in Christ, for many years you longed for a temple to fulfill the hopes of generations. Now there is a temple seeking fulfillment through a worldwide community that embodies divine light, generosity, and peace. Being a people of the temple is a constant calling that finds creative expression through each generation. This paragraph seems to move the church from being a people who have a temple in independence to being a people of the temple. So how will this transition of having a temple to being a temple change how we each live our discipleship and how will it impact congregations and their mission? I think it's a process that's, that's ongoing. Uh, as I tried to share it at World Conference, uh, there are significant steps that we have taken uh, toward becoming a people of the temple. But that journey will continue and it'll in, involve multiple generations. Uh, the reason that's important is I think for many years in the church, the temple was a goal to build the physical temple um, and experience what we expected to be activities and ministries associated with the temple. Um, and then that was some, some final achievement, a culminating achievement, uh, an end point, um, so to speak, after which certain things would, would, would just happen because we had achieved that point. And, and that's not the case. Uh, the, the temple is a part of our journey. It's an important resource, an important resource on our journey, but its purpose is to continue our transformation as a community of, of faith and, and witness, and its purposes are the purposes that we are to focus on in terms of our discipleship and our congregational ministries like healing, reconciliation, the pursuit of peace, wholeness. The, the purposes of the temple are, are really the purposes of the church. And so if we'll pay attention to those as priority ministries uh, again, in our lives, in our families, in our congregations, and in the worldwide church, then we will become a people who, and here's the word again, incarnate or embody the essential ministries of Jesus Christ um, that are highlighted by the temple. So. It's that expression of uh, we haven't reached an end point. Uh, we can't sit back and say, well, we finally achieved that. Yes. Uh, the phrase in that passage, constant calling, was the one that just continued to reverberate in my mind. Yes, and that constant calling as the symbolic nature of the temple itself is that inward journey and then the outward yes. journey into the world. 
So it really does point us to that spiritual formation, deepening of our relationship with God and others, and then being sent in Christ's mission into the world, which is that living, continuing yes. living. That the, that the inward and outward journey uh, is in the very symbolism of the temple. Yeah. It's the journey of the disciple. Yes, it is. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that paragraph, too. I'm going to now read uh, paragraph number two. And it says, Your continuing response to the call to be a people of the temple is commendable and of eternal importance. When human esteem themselves, each other, all interactions, and the entire creation as temple, peace prevails. This restoring vision and witness is entrusted to you. One of the words that really stood out for me in that paragraph was the word esteem. It's not really a word that I hear that often in common conversation. And as I thought about the word esteem, uh, it, it reminded me of having a really high regard for someone uh, to honor and respect and to value, and even in some cases to have a reverence for someone or something. Is this what you intended when you wrote that peace will prevail if we esteem ourselves, each other, all interactions, and the entire creation as temple? And what do, do these words and concepts mean to you? But that that's a very interesting question, and um, it causes me even to reflect more on on what it means. And that's often my experience with words of counsel. Um, I continue to journey with them, and as I discover meaning or people ask questions, then I gain even more insight myself that I'm able to affirm or confirm. The word esteem um, is, is not one that I think I use a lot either. Um, I remember uh, reflecting on it and the concept was one of very high regard. Um, and use the term reverence, and I would certainly be comfortable with that because the sense was when we uh, view ourselves and our interactions with others and our interaction with creation and all the living systems of creation and the natural resources with a sense of this is all sacred, which sacredness is, is the uh, awareness that temple draws us to. We're in the presence of the divine. Well, when we look at all things as being in the presence of divine creation, then we begin to see ourselves, others, and the whole creation uh, with additional um, understanding of the spiritual nature 
of it all. And uh, if I highly esteem another, um, then that's going to impact how I relate to them and hopefully bring a different spiritual quality to my relationships with those closest to me, but also people that I may encounter on a daily basis or, or people who are in great difficulty instead of judging them. I first uh, see them as a person of great worth. So that's a different perspective, and it's going to lead me to ministries of blessing and uplift rather than judgment and separation. Same thing's true with creation, with all the concerns we have for the earth and its environment. A lot of that is driven by the human attitude that it's all here for us to consume, uh, to meet our, not just our needs, to meet our wants. And then beyond that, to enrich us. And that attitude is proving to be very uh, destructive. Uh, if we have view, view the creation around us with a sense of reverence, then it's going to change how we um, interact with the environment. Um, and if we view creation as also temple, it, it will really impact how we relate to the environment. Uh, so all of that is contained in, in those few words, but esteem would be high regard, highly value, yes, even a sense of reverence in, in the sacredness of all. Yes. Uh, I also, in that ending part of the paragraph, I sense a great commissioning, a commissioning by God. And in that line, this restoring vision and witness is entrusted to you. <laughs> to you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just us individually, but us uh, collectively. And so would you like to comment on, on that sense of commission or call or... Yeah, in, in that uh, portion of the words of counsel, there, there was a strong sense of, of affirmation of community of Christ at this point in his journey, coming out of our sacred story where temple has been a theme but in Community of Christ, our concept of temple has evolved so that it's not something that's uh, secretive, but it's something that's transformative in terms of our discipleship and the church's mission in the world. Uh, part of my preparation for World Conference was to read quite an extensive work on the concept of temple in scripture and its relationship to the life of the church. And that helped me understand that at the heart of the concept of temple is always a people who are responding to God's call in the world. 
and that the concept of temple is constantly expanding. So any type of temple that we have now, such as the temple here in Independence, is pointing to something much larger and much bigger and outward focused. It's that message uh, that I think is entrusted to community of Christ because of our journey with the concept of temple and now to help the world understand what that really means uh, in terms of how we relate to God and each other. Yes, that, uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful way for us to embody what it means and be commissioned by God to do and be for the it, world's sake. It speaks to our identity. It does, it does, and even reflects our name. Yes. Community of Christ. Yes. Um, I'm going to read paragraphs three and four. They seem to go together, um, and these two paragraphs remind us of what we've been hearing from the First Presidency and the presiding bishopric for the last few years. So these are paragraphs three and four. Financial constraints are hindering the church from moving into the future as a pivotal and opportune time in history. These obstacles can be overcome through generosity, cooperation, and discernment about how the assets of the church can be directed to serve budget necessities and mission priorities. Members, congregations, and church jurisdictions are called to live the stewardship principles and practices already given to you. How is this reminder critical for Christ's mission in a time when Christianity is facing viability challenges in the Western world? Throughout, throughout my life, I've heard people say it's a historic time, it's a pivotal time, and I don't want that to become just kind of a trite saying uh, but everything I'm reading <laughs> and observing uh, would say that the time we're in is very significant in terms of the turning of human history and especially the history of Christianity uh, to new realities and to the future. Uh, we have a tendency in such times to become anxious and perhaps pull back and take a wait-and-see attitude. Um, and that's not the response that we're being called to right now. Uh, the church is actively engaged in discerning the future and experimenting with models of ministry that are responding to the opportunities for outreach and witness and engagement of people in the life of the church today. Um, and our primary uh, hindrance is having the resources to move uh, assertively uh, with flexibility uh, into the future with those kinds of new expressions of the church. Uh, the community of Christ has 
struggled often and throughout its history with uh, financial constraints. As I look back in the Doctrine and Covenants, it's a constant theme in terms of our stewardship response. Uh, evidently, from the divine perspective, the church has represented in its individual members, but also in its corporate assets, uh, many of which are physical assets, property. From the divine perspective, there's, there's ample if we take the initiative to discern how to use that to support the ministries of the church that are meant to move the church into the future. Um, it seemed to me uh, that the Spirit was saying, and again, I don't mean to be uh, trivial or, or trite, look, you've been given a lot of guidance <laughs> about whole life stewardship and balancing your generosity uh, between local needs and the worldwide mission of the church. It's both. Uh, and also, it's not just your individual giving, but uh, groups like congregations and mission centers have uh, not only assets, but sometimes uh, surplus in terms of funds invested and so forth. And that the group response uh, to support the mission of the church is also important. Uh, but the Spirit, in my experience, was saying all of that has been shared. Just implement those principles. And at this pivot time, pivotal time in church history, the ministries that we're engaged in will be empowered and magnified and expanded. And that actually we'll find great joy in that as we, as we respond. Absolutely. The next paragraph really has something to do with moving the church into the future, <laughs> but it's not just the future, it's the now. future now. <laughs> now. Yeah, it's now. So let me read paragraph five. Technology presents opportunities for involvement in sacraments by priesthood members and participants in separate locations. The First Presidency will act in its calling as chief interpreters of scripture, revelation, and church policies to provide procedures for offering sacraments in new situations while upholding essential meanings and symbols of the sacraments. As the church explores new opportunities for sharing sacraments, direction will come as needed through inspiration and wisdom. So we know technology is all around us. And in this paragraph, the need for the church to explore and offer the sacraments through technology is addressed. Tell us why this paragraph is essential now in the life of the church and how it supports Christ's mission now and into the future. Well, I think one is a, a practical uh, response um, and it has to do with our relationship to technology. Um, so the younger generations live 
in the virtual world of technology. It's real time. It's real relationships. It's real community. Uh, some other uh, cohorts or generations of church members are migrating into that world, but that's not or hasn't been our primary experience. And we may not be seeing all of the opportunities and potential applications and may even feel a little hesitant based on our past experience. So this is the spirit saying, here's a resource that can be used to share some of the most um, essential ministries of the church, speaking of the sacraments, uh, and so we need to see it not as a threat in any way, uh, but as resources to enhance our, our ministry. Um, I think it's important that we recognize that and proceed while at the same time thinking about what, what really is the meaning of the sacrament what are the essential symbols that bring that meaning to light? And how can we share the sacraments uh, without diminishing the sacraments and yet sharing the sacraments as widely as possible to people in all the diverse circumstances of their lives? So what I come back to is previous counsel given to the church that we should generously share the, the sacraments. And generously sharing the sacraments um, includes looking at the opportunities to share the sacraments faithfully and meaningfully by the use of, of technology. So we're right in the middle of identifying what that means. Because the requests have come to yes. the First Presidency and the Council of Twelve of people who live far from the church and, and in other countries yes. who have a yearning to share in sacramental experiences. Yes. And one of which is the Lord's Supper. Yes. So that the the desire is there and the people are separated by nations and miles and it does provide a connection and a new way to build community in a very deep, sustaining way. Absolutely. And just last week, the presidency finished its review of uh, guidelines for serving the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that includes guidelines related to online participation. And that was a continuation of the conversation we had at World Conference uh, as we looked at all the feedback and the questions. Uh, I think what this section of our passage is talking about in the words of counsel is, is happening. Uh, there, were, there have been moments of inspiration and, and wisdom that'll be reflected in those guidelines. Yes, yes. Uh, the Spirit is working and using <laughs> technology in a very 
dramatic way. Yes. Uh, the website has been the instrument through the power of the Holy Spirit to start the church in new countries. Absolutely. And so to share the sacraments in ways that are meaningful to people that are separate, it would be a great blessing. Yes. Great blessing. Our, our next, uh, I'm going to read the next two paragraphs together, uh, which have to do with the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so I'm going to read paragraphs six and seven. Additional meaning is waiting to be discovered in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Renewing covenant with Jesus Christ includes the call to live as peaceful human beings who personify Christ's peace. Spiritual blessing will be experienced when this calling is emphasized as a vital aspect of the sacrament. Cherish opportunities to be spiritually formed by Christ's sacred meal of remembrance, reconciliation, renewal, and peace. So the sacrament of the Lord's Supper has always been important to this faith movement as well as the greater Christian community. Over recent years, it seems as if God is asking us to go deeper in our understanding of how the Lord's Supper can form us as disciples and send us in Christ's mission. So what is your experience with the Lord's Supper and why do you believe God keeps reminding us of the power of this sacrament to spiritually form seekers and faith communities? I guess in, in one way, the sacraments of the church are also a means of continuing revelation in the life of the church, both in terms of our individual lives, the experiences that we have with the sacraments, uh, but also in our community life as a worldwide church as well as in our, our congregations. Uh, my experiences with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper uh, certainly confirm what most people affirm, and that is it's one of the most uh, meaningful, regular worship experiences that we have in the life of the church. Um, my sense is that it can be even more meaningful, um, that it goes beyond just our individual sense of, of remembrance of the importance of Christ in our lives, um, forgiveness, my sense of being forgiven, um, moving then to reconciliation, which has been part of our understanding of the sacrament, primarily focused in our families and and congregations, this is a time to uh, reconcile and forgive each other if there's need for that. But as I, I thought about the renewal of the baptismal commitment using the language of the church, if we are baptized into the peace of Christ and confirmed into the community of Christ's peace, then how does that link to this regular reminder of what our covenant is all about. And out of that then merged, this is about calling. We are called to be the peaceful ones in creation, just like Christ 
was the messenger of peace. Uh, and as Ephesians says, he was our peace. And if we are baptized into that truth, then that guides our uh, understanding of what it means to be a human being. And so we take on an identity of being the peaceful ones individually and collectively, not just uttering the words or going through the motions, but now we are incarnating peace, the peace of Christ in our lives. And so we go forth into the word world as the peaceful ones. And I'm wondering if there's some aspect to the sacramental experience itself to send us out uh, in that way or with words of blessing, words of reminder and blessing that now we are called to go live sacramentally as the peace of Jesus Christ in the world uh, would it would not enhance our experience together. Oh, so for, we'll see what happens. Well, for sure it would. <laughs> When I prepare for, uh, to take the, the Lord's Supper, I read section 164, the fourth paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And the promise that's found there near the end, that the, there's power in uh, the Lord's Supper to form mm -hmm. uh, uh, this community into the true and living expression of Jesus Christ. And I think that's related yes. very much to what you're saying, to be formed, not as just as individuals, but as a community moving out yes. in Christ's mission. I mean, I just, I get goosebumps just yes. even thinking about what might happen. Yes, it's, it's that. And section 164 points to the formative aspect these words of counsel talk about what are the qualities and yes. characteristics being formed. And once again, the identity of disciples and the church in the community of Christ, understanding and experience of the gospel. Yes, and, and calling us back to that understanding of, of the peaceful human beings that we're called to be links us again back to the purpose of the temple of peace Reconciliation. It all connects, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, the spirit. It all lines up in that regard. Yeah, so God does help us put the dots, yes. form the dots and put them in the row and help us try to help us. We have powerful symbols. We have powerful sacraments. We have scriptural guidance. We, we have each other as we're becoming that people. It's, it's a wonderful experience when you see it from that perspective. It is, absolutely. Well, we're going to end now with the last two paragraphs of the Words of Counsel, paragraphs 8 and 9. Then go with conviction into the locations of your discipleship and be the peace of Christ. As you do, you will discover a variety of ways in which spiritual community forms and flows as expressions of the gospel of peace. Trust what is being born. Have faith in divine purposes. Persist in hope. Amen. Oh, I, I, really, I really like these two paragraphs. Uh, they speak to me of God's continuing promises to the church. In particular, those last three short sentences, 
trust what is being born, have faith in divine purposes, persist in hope. And this gives us assurance and a encouragement in this time when disciples and congregations in the Western world in particular are facing such great challenges. How do you see God's presence with us reflected in these last two paragraphs? Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it seems that God is um, always engaged in our future before we realize it. Yeah. And it's often only in retrospect that we see it. So what we may be viewing as challenging times, especially with the financial constraints, a lot of the difficult questions that we continue to wrestle with in terms of the meaning of the gospel, uh, we may perceive that as, as burden. Um, I think from a divine perspective, experiences like that tend to refine and strengthen as we move through them. So in the midst of our current challenge, uh, challenges, uh, there is something being born, um, birthed, not just that we're bearing it <laughs> under it, bearing up under it, but it's being birthed uh, that positions the church uh, into the future in terms of its ministries and relevance in, in the world. Um, the phrases at the very end are, are like, here it is just very succinctly, <laughs> trust, um, hope. Th those have always been themes of the, of the gospel over the generations, God's people have been guided by the words trust and hope and faith, uh, and then persisting in hope gives it a quality that's it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just pie in the sky um, hopefulness. It's the kind of persistent hope that comes from a people who are a people of the resurrection. Even in the midst of great difficulty as we look at church history and Christian history, there's always been reason for great hope because it's in the very nature of who we are. It's, it's at the very heart of Christianity and discipleship. Um, but the term persistence or persist, I have a funny story if I could yes, tell certainly. it briefly if we have time. I was driving into the office one day and a lot of the issues of the church were just weighing so heavily and I was almost dreading going <laughs> into the office and I'm, I'm driving down the street and I'm praying, as I often do coming into the office, and I guess I got a little frustrated, and I, I kind of, uh, in uh, exasperation, said, you know, where are you, God, <laughs> in all of this? 
and about then, uh, a car pulled in front of me, and it had a big sticker in the back window that said, persist. <laughs> <laughs> persist. <laughs> and I uh, kind of chuckled. <laughs> uh, but all day long uh, and after, that word as the stance of people of faith and hope, we persist no matter what, really came to the fore of my thinking. Uh, that may have had an impact uh, on those words. Yes. Uh, persist in hope. Persist in hope. That's, that's the calling, that's the attitude of disciples and the church in all times, all places, in this time, and into the future. And that we're divinely called and that God is right in the middle of the mess with us. Yes. <laughs> we have a holy mess <laughs> and, God, and adventure. <laughs> and God will surprise us and bless us yes. if we just persist. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> is there any other comments or reflections that you might have before we end this Project Zion podcast? Well, uh, one, a note of appreciation for the opportunity to share in this way. And if there are any of the listeners who have uh, questions, I'm more than happy to receive uh, emails and try to respond to those as I can. Um, bottom line, uh, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of this uh, interesting and challenging faith movement. I hope that others find joy in the journey um, and growth in the adventure. And so I extend my best wishes to all of the listeners and invite you to continue the journey with us. Yes, please do. And so now we conclude this Project Zion. And thank you each one for joining us on this journey. And we pray God's blessing to you as you persist in the wonderful discovery of resurrection. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 